Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, if you turn your Bible to Mark chapter 6, or you can pull it up on your smartphone, and this time the children can be dismissed for Children's Church, uh, children up to 5th grade. Uh, you can follow Earl over there to the pavilion. Um, the youth are going to stay here in the service for today. So if you don't have a Bible, you can just uh, listen, listen along. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is, this, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except he healed, uh, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Well, in the early 1990s, there was a chemist from Procter & Gamble, and this chemist was working with a substance called hydroxypropyl beta-cyclodextrin, in case you were wondering. Now, this particular chemist was working with this, this substance, and he was a very heavy smoker. And one day, he came home, and his wife looked at him, and she said, have you quit smoking? And he thought to himself, well, she's trying to trick me or something. No, I haven't quit smoking. She said, well, it's just that your clothes don't smell like smoke at all anymore. And it turned out that this substance that he was working with was able to remove odors, almost any odors from any type of fabric. So he went back to the laboratory, and with other people, he started to perfect this product that would later be called Febreze, that was able to take out odors from basically any substance. So they started to do research on, on the, the market and whatnot, and they thought that they were going to have a gold mine. They thought they were going to make millions or even billions of dollars on this product. And so they started advertising it and saying, you know, this is a product that can take any odor out of your house, that if you have stinks in your house, you, this will take it out. And so they started a few test cities, and what they found was didn't sell. Nobody was buying it. It just sat on the shelves, and the people that did buy it, they weren't buying more. And so it got so bad that they thought that they, at one point, they almost gave up and just went to a new product line. But they started to research and tried to figure out why this product wasn't selling. And there was one lady in particular that kind of enlightened them on why this product wasn't selling. This lady had nine cats, um, and despite having nine cats, she was very neat, very orderly, uh, cleaned the house often, described herself as a neat freak. And so the researchers visit her at her home, and they enter into the doors of the home, and the smell just overwhelmed them. The smell of uh, cat urine and cat poop just overwhelmed them. So much so that one of the researchers started to gag, as, like, felt like he was going to throw up. So one of the researchers asked her, so what do you do about the smell? 
the, uh, from the cats. And she says, well, it's not too bad. Uh, you know, every once in a while, probably about once a month, you know, I have an issue and then I just spray something or clean and then I don't have the issue anymore. And they said, well, do you think it smells now? She said, no, it doesn't smell at all. See, what they found was that nobody really thought that their houses were stinky. They had grown used to the smells in their homes, and so nobody thought that they needed the product. You probably had it happen, maybe you've put cologne on before or something like that, and at the beginning it has this kind of overwhelming smell, but after a day or two you don't even smell it anymore. You kind of lose your sensitivity to that. And I think that's kind of what happens in the story with the people in regards to Jesus. Jesus has returned to his hometown of Nazareth, and it seems like people have lost their sensitivity to Jesus. Jesus grows up in Nazareth, his family is in Nazareth, his friends are in Nazareth, he's worked in Nazareth, and yet his family and his kindred do not recognize the greatness of who he is. He goes and teaches in the synagogue, and it says in the text that many were astonished at his teaching, and they questioned where Jesus received this wisdom and by what power he was able to do the things that he did. They said, is this not the carpenter? In other words, is this not the boy that we saw who scraped his knee when he was a little child? Is this not the teenager who made a table for me? We've seen Jesus. We know Jesus. And now he's making these profound statements, and it's kind of throwing us off. They describe Jesus as the son of Mary. This would have been offensive in that culture. In that day and age, a person was described as being the son of his father. So Jesus should have been called the son of Joseph, but he's called the son of Mary, probably to discredit his ministry. These people might even have been going so far to suggest that he was an illegitimate child, that he had no legitimate father. And so it says in the text that the people took offense at Jesus as he comes to his hometown. And thinking back to that Febreze illustration, now the woman with nine cats thought of herself as a very neat and tidy person. She described herself as a neat freak probably vacuumed off and cleaned the litter box. And she said her house rarely smelled. Now, if you, the researchers came into her house and told her, you know, your house really, really stinks. It's so bad that I'm about to throw up right now. She probably would have been a little bit offended. She probably would have said, you're crazy. I, I vacuumed this house just before you came. I cleaned all the litter box, and after all, I don't smell anything. In the same way, Jesus the people in Jesus' hometown had expectations and beliefs about who Jesus was. And Jesus comes and shatters those expectations. He speaks as one who has authority, a worker of miracles. But they saw him grow up. They ate with him. And they didn't see anything special about him. In short, they lost their sensitivity to Jesus. And so Jesus quotes this proverb, a common proverb, that a prophet is not without honor except for in his hometown identifying himself with the prophets of old who had come before him, some of whom were also rejected. And the text says that he could do no mighty work there. He could do no mighty work in that place. Does that mean he didn't have the power to do mighty works? That he wasn't capable of doing that mighty works? I don't think that's what it meant at all. But Jesus wasn't going to do mighty works for people who refused to believe in him, who would close their hearts off to him. It's kind of like, have you ever been in a situation where you're really trying to tell somebody something and, you know, really wanted to share something with somebody, but as you're telling them, they're checking their phone or they're watching TV or they're looking away or they're talking to somebody else. 
And you finally get to a point where you're like, okay, if you don't want to hear it, I'm going to stop talking. I think that's how Jesus kind of is in this, in this story. He's not going to do mighty miracles for people who refuse to believe in him, who turn, the, turn their hearts towards him. And then Jesus makes an extremely interesting and profound statement. One of the most interesting and profound statements, I think, in all of Scripture. It says in the text that Jesus marveled because of the people's unbelief. He marveled or was amazed at their unbelief. This is the only time in all of Scripture that Jesus is described as being amazed or marveled. A lot of times people were amazed at him, but this is the only time that he was amazed and he was a marvel, marveled at something. See, these people, they should have believed in him. They knew him. They knew him better than anybody else. They had seen his character. They had seen him, his, him grow up. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his teaching, and yet these are the ones who reject him. The people who should have been most familiar with him. See, sometimes it's possible to become so familiar with Jesus that we don't actually even know him. It's possible to become so familiar with Jesus that we actually don't even know him. A number of years ago, uh, there was a store that was built over on Niagara Falls Boulevard called the Christmas Tree Shop. And uh, for those of our uh, friends from Mississippi, or if you don't know what the Christmas Tree Shop is, it's kind of like a discount store where they sell, sell all different types of things. They sell food, home goods, uh, basically you name it, it's just kind of a variety store. But years ago when it was built, I saw it after it was built, and I passed by it number, a number of times. And what did I think it sold? I thought they sold Christmas trees. I thought they had Christmas tree decorations. I thought I knew exactly what the store was about, and I thought, well, I'm not in the market for a Christmas tree, so I don't have any desire to go to that store. So I passed by it dozens and dozens of times, no interest in going in there ever. Then finally, I think maybe my mom was in the store or somebody else that I knew was in the store, so I decided, all right, I'm going to go into the store. So I walked in the front door of the store, I looked and saw a few things. I saw some craft items, and then I thought, this is a craft store. So I walked out the door. Finally, years after that, for some reason, I went into the store and finally realized that it was neither a Christmas tree store nor a craft store, that they had all different types of things, and I found that it was actually a store I kind of liked. <laughs> See, I, I thought I knew exactly what it was about. I was really familiar with the store, passed by it dozens and dozens of times, but I didn't really know what it was about. I think a similar thing happens in regard to how we view Jesus. According to the Hartford Institute, they estimate that there's about 350,000 churches in America. Over 70% of Americans would identify as being Christians. There's thousands of Christian books that are published each year. There's hundreds of different translations of the Bible. You can get the New International Version, the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, Revised Standard Version, Holman Christian Version, King James Version, New King James Version. One source estimated that there's about 900 different English translations of the Bible. You can turn on the radio. Here are Christian radio stations. There's two Christian radio stations, at least in our area here. You can listen to preaching and listen to music on the radio. You can turn on the TV and listen to uh, sermons on the television. You can go online and you can listen to literally thousands upon thousands and thousands of messages from churches all over the world. We're really familiar with Jesus in our culture. And I think many people feel like they have Jesus down. Many people in America feel they understand Jesus. 
some of us from the more liberal persuasion think Jesus was a great teacher. And that his whole purpose in life and purpose in his message was that we just get along with one another. That we learn to agree with one another. To be nice to each other. Some of us from the more conservative persuasion think that Jesus has come to help those who help themselves. According to one poll, 82% of Americans believe the statement, God helps those who help themselves, is a Bible verse. Some of us believe that Jesus is a get-out-of-jail-free card. We just pray a prayer, maybe when we're a kid, and that's it. Some people believe that Jesus is kind of a cosmic gumball machine. That, by and large, Jesus isn't really that interested in us, and we're not that interested in Him. But when we need something, then maybe we'll come to church, or maybe we'll pray, or maybe we'll give to someone who is in need. And then if we do those things, maybe He'll bless us. Just like we put a quarter in the gumball machine. We think if we do some things, he'll bless us. Now, there's a small amount of truth to all of those different viewpoints. But what they are, I think, is caricatures. When you have a caricature, maybe if you go to the fair or the canal fest next week, there'll be a caricature artist. And what a caricature artist does is he or she uh, draws a picture and he or she exaggerates certain aspects of the picture. So if you maybe you have a little bit bigger ears than normal, Maybe they'll draw you having you know, ears the size of the whole page. So they kind of exaggerate one aspect over another. And I think that's similar to what these people do in Jesus' hometown. They, take, they took one aspect of Jesus' life and they exaggerated it. He's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary. He's just a common man. We saw him grow up. How can he be saying these amazing things? How can he be doing miracles? And I think for the most part in America... We do the same thing. Most of our views of Jesus in America are caricatures. We take an element of who we think Jesus is and we kind of run with it. Maybe we heard something about Jesus on the radio. Maybe we've read a scripture here and there. Maybe we kind of add our own ideas to us. And then we kind of make this image of who we think Jesus is based upon our own opinions and what we get from here and there. In short, we kind of form God in our own image. We don't have any right to do that. In fact, the scriptures say in Exodus chapter 20, the second of the Ten Commandments, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And you think to yourself, well, I would never bow down and worship an idol. That's what primitive cultures do. They bow down and worship a idol of wood or stone, I'd never do something like that. But idolatry is not just bowing down and worshiping a piece of wood or a piece of stone. It's also forming God in our own image. Ascribing our own ideas to God rather than listening to what God has said. Taking bits and pieces of knowledge from here and there and blending something together. I wonder today if maybe Jesus is amazed at our unbelief. I wonder if Jesus is amazed at the fact that in our culture we have every possible resource available to us, and yet still we don't know who Jesus is. Do you realize that we have more resources available to us today than anybody else in the history of the planet? I mean, we have more resources today than the Old Testament saints. They only had fragments of the Old Testament. The New Testament saints, they had the Old Testament, they only had fragments of the New Testament. 
And apart from that, by and large, people didn't own a copy of God's Word. They didn't own a Bible. It was just too expensive. So they came to the church or the synagogue to hear God's Word being read. Yet we have every resource and we don't have a clue about who Jesus is. Researchers George Gallup and Jim Castellini put it this way, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. So what is the answer to this problem? The answer is to return to what God has said about himself. What God has said about his son, Jesus. And we find that in God's word, the Bible. The Bible is an amazing book that's written over 1,500 years that has an amazing and remarkable unity of purpose. That God inspired it, that he worked through human personalities to record his teachings and also his acts in history so that we would have a record of what God has done so that we might know him. You might be saying to yourself, well, I don't have a good Bible. I don't have a good Bible to read. Well, it's, it's your lucky day. We have Bibles available for you, the free resource table when you leave. Well, you say to yourself, well, my eyesight isn't that good. I, I don't know if I could read the print. Well, again, talk to me afterwards. I, we have some large print Bibles for you. Well, you say to yourself, well, I'm not much of a reader. I don't read very much. Well, do you have a smartphone? A lot of us have smartphones. You can download an app called Bible by Life Church TV, and you can actually listen to the scriptures on your phone. You just put your earbuds in and listen to the scriptures. Well, you say, I don't, I don't have a smartphone. Well, do you have access to the Internet? You can go on the website called BibleGateway.com and listen to the scriptures online. If you say, I don't, I don't have access to the Internet, well, I don't know what to tell you. No. You can go to the Christian bookstore, pick up some Bible, a Bible on CD. We have every possible resource available to us to hear God's Word. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer, you're just checking, checking the whole Christian thing out. Maybe you, somebody invited you and just couldn't say no one more time, and so you just decided you were going to come along. Or uh, maybe you're here and just thought, you know, just come out for the barbecue and some stuff for the kids. And if that's you, we are so grateful that you come here today. We're so grateful that you're joining us today. And we exist as a church because we believe that a relationship with Jesus changes everything. You'll see some of us are wearing shirts that say Jesus changes everything, and we believe that. We believe that a relationship with God can change everything for us. That Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, lived a sinless life, rose again so that we could have life in Him. And so maybe God would work in some of your hearts today. Maybe God has been working. And so maybe you'd like to enter into a relationship with God today. And if you'd like to do that, Justin in a few minutes is going to talk to you about how you might do that. But maybe you're here and you're just checking it out. Maybe you are not familiar with the whole church thing. Maybe you're not familiar with who Jesus is. And I encourage you, maybe you take the first step today. Maybe you just commit to get to know God a little bit better. Get to know God's Son, Jesus. Maybe you'd commit yourself today to just start reading the Bible. We have a Gospel of John books over there also, with a little bit more information in there too. So maybe you just commit to yourself to, I'm going to start reading the book of John. You know, I'm not making any commitment. I don't know much about Jesus or who he is, but today I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to just start to know him a little bit better. Maybe there's some of us who are believers and you felt like God has been absent from your life. Maybe you felt like his presence is not with you. 
Maybe you felt like it's been a long time since God used you in a mighty way. Well, there's a lot of possible reasons for that. Some of them physical, could be spiritual reasons. But one reason is that we lack faith. It says in this text that Jesus did not do many, many mighty works in this place because the people lacked faith. And maybe for some of us, the reason that God hasn't worked mightily in our lives is because we lack faith. We don't really believe Him. We don't really trust Him. And so if that's the case, if we feel we're in that place, what do we do? Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So we increase our faith by listening to the Word of Christ, by getting into God's Word. If we want to increase our faith, we need to be reading God's Word, listening to God's Word, getting to know Him better, better. Not just reading in an academic sense, to a, just like we'd read a novel, but reading to know God personally. There's an, a teacher named Linda Dupree who was an English teacher in a small rural school. And she had a challenge because she was one of the only English teachers in this school. And she had the challenge and also the privilege of teaching her three children. And her children were really embarrassed that she was the teacher. And uh, they always told her, uh, please don't call us out. Please don't tell any stories about us. And every, day, every time on the first day of class, they would kind of sit in the corner and just kind of have their head down. And they were kind of embarrassed that their mother was a teacher. But the other children, they were excited to be in her class. It was kind of this rite of passage to be in Mrs. Dupree's class. Because they'd finally made it to high school English. And so they're all excited about this, and her children began to see this, and they began to see the excitement that the other children had. And they, one of the children, her oldest son, asked her, Mama, do they know who you really are? Do they know who you really are? As in, do they know that you're just a mom? Do, you know, do they know that you're just an ordinary person? Why are they so excited about being in your class? And she looked at her child, and she said, Son, do you know who I am? I think that's the question that God is asking us today. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Because it's possible to become so familiar with Jesus that we don't actually even know Him. It has been... Our joy to, to come up to this part of the world from, from Mississippi for the last five years, six summers, uh, we've come and, uh, and for the last three years we've helped with church in the park here. Uh, why do you think we do that? Why do you think we come year after year? We like the weather. That's true too. I will not, I will not disagree with that. We love the Lord first of all, and He has called us to do that. But second of all, we, we love you. We love you all. You say, ah, you don't know us. But we've walked up and down your streets, and we've knocked on a lot of your doors, and you've been very receptive. And sometimes we've had cookies to give you, and that helps too. But we come back year after year because, because we love you all. Why did Jesus go to Nazareth? Well, it was His hometown, and He loved those people. And He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the way to have a relationship with our eternal creator and sustainer, the lover of our soul, God himself. 
And he wanted his family and his friends and his neighbors to experience that as well. And so he went to them and they said, no, we don't think so. We don't think so. Why do you think Jesus is here today? We look around and I don't see Jesus here today, but he's promised us in the Bible that where two or three are gathered in his name, he's in our midst. And so we know that, that Jesus is, is our guest of honor today. Everything that we do, everything that we have done, all of our songs that we have sung and, and the, the offerings that we have given and the prayers that we have prayed, all of that is focused toward him. Worship is, is like a conversation that we have with God. We talk to him when we sing to Him and when we give our gifts and offer up our prayers. And as, as Matt has brought a message from God's Word, He speaks back to us. He speaks to our hearts, God does, through, through His Word, the Bible. And then we have an opportunity, as we are in conversation with friends or neighbors or other people around us, to respond. I talk and you talk and I talk and you talk and we listen to each other and we respond to one another. And God gives us an opportunity to do that as well. I want to give you an opportunity to do that even today. As you have spoken to God, as you've sung your praise to God, recognizing Him as, as Creator and, and Lord of this world and, and maybe Lord of your life. And He's spoken to you, I hope and pray, through His Word this morning. How do we respond to the Lord? Well, He calls us to respond to Him in faith. How much did Jesus love the people of Nazareth? Well, He went to them, knowing that Many of them would turn away, but a few of them he had an opportunity to minister to and to heal. Why is he here today? Well, because he loves you. You're here. He's here in the same place. He's made sure that you got up this morning with a desire in your heart to come to church in the park so that you could hear from his word, so that you could be challenged to be able to think in your mind and your heart and your soul, Lord, am I so familiar with the things that, that I've been taught or the things that I've learned or the things that I think I know about you that I don't really know you at all? God's Word reminds us, reminds us that He loves us more than anything. The question really has never been, does God love you? He has made that an absolute fact. He has proven it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You see, God has already proven His love for you and for me. Sometimes we get all hung up on, well, God loves these people and not those people. God loves people who do good, and God doesn't love people who do wrong. God loves people in America, and God hates people in that other part of the world who do that other thing. God loves this group and not that group. And yet His Word tells us that He loves all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of where we're from or what we have done, God loves each and every one of us enough that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus came out of love, knowing that many would turn away. But He gives us an opportunity to come to know and have a relationship with God Himself. God has proven His love for you and that while you were still a sinner, before you had done anything good, said any kind of prayer or been to any kind of church or read the Bible or done anything to help your neighbor or anything nice 2,000 years ago, before I was even born, before you were born, before your grandparents were born, Jesus loved you. He knew you. He died for you. He gave His life. I think when He hung on the cross, He saw each and every one of our faces, and yours among them, and for your sin and for my sin, He paid the price 
Now, the question that is laid before us is this. There is always a price to be paid for sin. Either I have to pay the price myself, which is the wrath of God. It was poured out upon Jesus on the cross, or it will be poured out upon me. Who's going to pay the price for your sin? Either you have to pay the price yourself. We have a lifetime to come to know Him. We have a lifetime to serve Him, to devote our hearts to Him. But many say no and turn away and choose to pay the price for their own sin, an eternity of hell and death and punishment. Or we can ask Jesus to pay the price for us if we respond to Him in faith. The Bible says something wonderful, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. You see, it's not a matter of how many rules we can keep. It's not a matter of how many good things that we can do to outweigh our bad things because our sin is always going to deserve punishment. We can't do enough good to outweigh our bad. But we can ask Jesus, who was perfect, to pay the price for our sin. That's why He carried the cross. That's why He was nailed to it. That's why He suffered and bled and died. And that's why, buried in the tomb, He rose up on the third day and He conquered death as well, to show us that there is nothing that we need to fear, nothing that can scare us or threaten us or frighten us that is greater than He is. And when our faith, our trust is in Him, then we have placed our hope in the greatest thing. Do you know Him today? And I think that's the question. Not how much does God love you, because He's proven that, but do you love Him? And that's the real test, isn't it? Jesus says, if you love me, You'll obey my commands. We think that we know enough about God. We think that we know enough about the Lord to kind of get by. But unless we know Him, unless we have a relationship with Him, then do we really know Him at all? Have you confessed that He is the Lord of your life? Do you believe that God raised Him from the dead? Have you experienced that salvation? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Because His Word promises that everyone who does, everyone, it says right here, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so when we submit ourselves to Him, when we ask Him to rescue us from our sin and guilt, to rescue us from death and hell and punishment, He promises that He will. Is that the goal? Do we just do that sometime before we die and we're good to go? That's not the end. That's the beginning. It's the beginning of our relationship with God. It's the beginning of our walk with Jesus. From that point, we have an opportunity to live in this world in a way that shows that we love Him with our whole heart. Why do we do the things that we do as the church? To tally up points? To show God how much we love Him and try to earn His favor? No, we do it because we love Him and because He loves us. Why do you feed your children and grandchildren? Because somebody's keeping score? No, because we love them. And we serve God in the same way because we love Him. And we want others to come to know Him as well. We want you, if you don't know Him today, to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. To love God in the way that we've been able to experience. Because He loves us with His whole heart. He did not withhold His only Son from us. And we're called to love Him as well. The band's going to come back and they're going to sing another song here in, in just a moment. And we'll uh, close, Brother Matt will close us in prayer and things like that after a little while. But during this time, as the, uh, as, as the band sings and as they, as they lead us truly in, in a moment of worship, make it a time of, of introspection, will you? Will you? Will you turn your gaze on your own heart? Matt was talking about Febreze uh, a little while ago. It's easy for us to smell the stink on somebody else, isn't it? That's something we say in Mississippi. 
smell the stank on them, it's hard for us to smell the stank on ourselves. My life is deserving of hell and death and punishment. But apart from Christ, that's going to be my, that's going to be my destination. But with Him, with Him, we can have eternity by His side. We can have eternity in His house. Jesus has promised us not just a future, He's promised us a present. We have an opportunity to walk with Him and make a difference in this world. Do you know Him? When we're finished here, when we're finished here, look for somebody in one of those Jesus Changes Everything t-shirts, one of the band members here, myself, Matt, any of us who can tell you more about who Jesus is. Last year at, uh, at Church in the Park, I had an opportunity to sit with a young man. I think he was only 12 years old, but the Lord touched his heart. He said, look, I, I, need, to, I need to make that decision. Maybe you need to make that decision. Maybe you're a young person. Maybe you're not. Maybe your young person days are far behind you. But the Lord's given you an opportunity today to make a decision for Him, to trust Him with your heart, your life, your future. Are you so willing? Are you willing to trust Him? When we do, we have Him forever, and He has us forever, and we get to live for Him and impact the lives of others to let them know that Jesus loves them too. As we examine our hearts this morning, as we think about these things, maybe you come to that point where you realize, I need to make that decision. Find one of these people. Find one of those folks in a t-shirt, one of these band members, one of uh, the, uh, the I Hope Church people. We can sit down with you and we can talk with you about those things, show you a couple of scriptures that show you how much God loves you, what it is that He's done for you. We can pray and we can seal the deal with the Lord today. Call on His name, knowing and trusting that He hears and that He provides all the love and the mercy, the forgiveness, the salvation that we need. As we sing together, as we pray together, as we think about these things together, uh, we seek the Lord's heart this morning. Maybe during this time, you ask Him to, uh, to, to rescue you, and we know that He does. And then we have an opportunity to let others know that as well.